Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. Thank you for downloading and thank you to everyone who downloaded our first episode. On today's episode, we discuss Chris Coleman and the aftermath of him leaving his job. Who's next? Who do we want to see next? Who do we not want to see in charge? And also our best memory of Coleman's time in charge. We also have an interview with Hayley from Fee Wales as she has celebrated the first anniversary of the company. We talk about how she started, how she got going and what's going to be next. With her, we also chat about the Women's World Cup qualifiers, where Wales are top of their group. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you for listening. So thanks for that, Chris. Um, I'm obviously here with Ruth. Hello. <laughs> so we are going to talk a little bit today about Coleman, our thoughts about him and who we think should get the job. We've been, I think we've been actually really quite organised in this. <laughs> There's actually bits of paper I know, involved I in this, isn't there? This looks like we've actually made an effort we know what we're doing. After I got the dates wrong on the last one, <laughs> I really wanted to make sure that I didn't make an arse of myself again. So hopefully we're not going to do that. We'll see. Equally, I did say that Coleman wouldn't go, and if he would go somewhere, it definitely wouldn't be Sunderland. And that is exactly what happened. Yeah. You lasted about, I think our podcast has been out about 90 <laughs> minutes before that changed. <laughs> so we're going to give you during this someone who we don't think is going to get the job. So what I would do, listeners, is go and put a tenner on the person we say who's not going to get the job, because that person is certainly actually going to get the job. So it's obviously sad news. My initial thought as a Newcastle fan was no different to others, I don't think, about why he went to Sunderland. What do you think about that? Why Sunderland? I think, I mean, you mentioned in the last podcast that it's, it, despite where the standings are at the minute, it has this perception of being a big draw, doesn't it? And I think also he's not ever been shy of taking on a challenge. No, that's true. And I think... The, you know, of the different things that were on offer, presumably there were other things on offer. I can see this actually being something he thought that he one he could deliver on, uh, but he might actually enjoy the process yeah, as the well. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing that surprised me, I agree with you. I think the big club thing I can kind of go with through gritted teeth, but you know they've got great training facilities and all sorts of stuff there. Like I, I, I get it. The thing I don't understand is why them now when. He apparently was offered something at Hull and Crystal Palace. Uh, appreciate that the Hull one was during the yeah. the qualifying campaign, and the Palace one would have been what turned out to be the end of the qualifying campaign. But you don't like to think, you know, they're big, you know, they're Premier League clubs, or mm-hmm. well, they were. I'm just a bit surprised that it's ended up with him at Sunderland, given their current predicament. Like they are chewing out managers. I read in eight years or something they've gone through ten managers. Like, that's a big number of people. I'm just, I'm just surprised of all the things he could have gone for, that it's 
their yeah. minutes now. And I, yeah, and I don't think we'd disagree with. I mean, I think that's the view held by most people, yeah. isn't it? It was just like, mm, okay. I mean, I tweeted out at one point that I thought the fact that he'd chosen Sunderland over Wales actually said something about the fact that he was clearly ready to go. Yeah. He was clearly ready to move. Um, and I'm actually quite grateful that he hasn't stuck around sort of accidentally waiting yeah, for the best option. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm glad he's manned up in that sense and thought, yeah, I'm ready to go and he's gone. Yeah, he has um, done us a favour in that yeah. sense, I guess. I just, I would imagine that somewhere he must have been offered some sort of like cast iron assurances by Sunderland that if, you know, the first sign of danger, things aren't going to go wrong and maybe, you know, if he keeps them up and have money to spend in the summer and they can do a re, you know, an overhaul of the squad and whatever, he must have had a lot of assurances, I guess. Because otherwise, I think it's a big thing to walk away from for what, to all intents and purposes, seems like a bit of a gamble. Yeah. Um, um, what is your best memory, do you think, of Cookie's time in charge? I think it was, it's one of those slightly tangential ones. Uh, when we qualified, um, I was listening, actually, to Radio Wales, couldn't get a feed over here. Um, and Rob Phillips was obviously keeping people abreast of what was going on, and he'd realised that we qualified. And I think there's a moment in his commentary where he realises that Coleman realises. Yeah. Um, and I think that just that whole kind of together stronger was exemplified, ironically, in that moment where it all drew together. Yeah. Um, and so that's if I when I picture him, that's what that's the moment I picture. Yeah. Um, there are other things, of course. There's you know the, the quotes from Euro sixteen and the you know daring to dream and those sorts of things. But that, no, that's the one that sticks with me. I think you picked mine there as well, the dare to dream thing, like that speech. I did a blog on it very recently, just just FYI, um, but about having dreams and I thought that moment kind of encapsulated everything about him. Like he was so happy he still managed to say something which gives me goosebumps every time I think about it and it was obviously such a like a seminal moment in, in Welsh football history that he just I felt like he just summed it up perfectly and I think that's why I felt such an affinity for him specifically after that now as well is, is that that was a that was a huge moment and he just seemed to fall over his words a bit through excitement but still say the right thing and I made me believe in him even more I think so I think he's always somehow had that ability to say the right thing you even go back to the, that very first press conference where he admitted that he didn't want to be there yeah you know exactly. and I think that's one of his I think one of the things we'll miss is just that upfront straightforwardness that yeah. he has I, I read somewhere on Twitter that um, there's a guy who's been covering Sunderland Northeast football for a long long time and he's obviously done hundreds of first manager, you know, your first press conference sort of thing, and he said the way Coleman spoke was one of his top three that he's ever seen, just the authority, the way he spoke, he'd obviously well prepared for everything, he knew what was coming, um, anticipated all the questions, said not just things you want to hear, but like positive things and wanting to make a difference and begging the fans to get on board and I think he's I think he really does have something and this journey he's been on with Wales has really given him a big shot of confidence. So I do wish him all the best, even if it is at Um So we are going to try and go through now who's who's going to be next. We've we've tried to do it in a logical way. <laughs> so 
I'm sure like a lot of people, Dave and I have been kicking this backwards and forwards for a few days and just going around in circles. So we started to think a little bit about, well, what are FA Wales actually looking for? Um, so I, I dug out um, their strategic plan, which at the minute we're literally in the middle of the five-year strategic plan, um, and had a look at the values as they're espoused by FAW. Because in theory, at least, that's exactly what they should be looking for in the next manager. And the values, there's three of them. There's excellence, family, and respect. And so what we're going to do is have a look at a few candidates against each of those criteria and see if we can hopefully narrow it down to <laughs> a name. Um, and then also some not names. And as Dave says, go and put a tenor on the not names. Because <laughs> they'll be the one who gets the job. So we've got, I've got a big flappy bit of paper in front of me here with with a lot of names on it. Some we have immediately discounted, but we thought we'd put down anyway. Um, people like Pardew, who I would despise to be in charge. Um, but we've also got a lot of people with ticks next to their names. For example, the obvious ones like Pulis and Giggs, Robinson, Bellamy. Slightly what I think are a bit more unlikely to happen, but still would be good shouts like Kuman, DeBoer and Billich. And then a few more left field suggestions. Uh, that we will go through towards the end. So I'm going to start off with one of the big names that people are talking about, which is Pulis. Mm -hmm. um, we both have listened to the Feast of Football podcast where Danny Gavadon was glowing about his man management skills. And I think in the circumstance, that would be a real thing for Wales. I think that would really get people going. You talk about excellence, family, respect family a group of people I mean if you've got that man management skills to pull people together I think that does create that atmosphere I think the players would respect him I think he's a respected Premier League manager I suppose where you're looking would be the excellence the there's a big kind of I mean interestingly that the, the um, FA Wales never really define it they say it's a enthusiasm and uh, to improve and strive for excellence so they never actually say what they're looking for <laughs> um, which might therefore work that, for yeah, Pulis. Um, going back to the last podcast, I talked about the fact that my perception was we needed to do something about the, the, the defence, whether it was a four or a five. Um, and so it would actually be a bit hypocritical of me to take Pulis off the table under, under that framework, because on that basis yeah, he would fit very well. Um, I, th I think we've talked as well, haven't we, about the fact that has he actually had the talent pool to work yeah. with that he might have if he's, if he's managing Wales. Um, I also think that it might not be a bad thing almost to leave the front two-thirds to themselves. Let, you know, yeah. let them do what they do and really concentrate on getting yeah. that strength at the back, which is how we got to Euro 16 after all, was through a strength in the back, not giving up goals, going on the break. And yeah, his version of, of break is a long ball. That wouldn't be a, our version. Sorry, there's a fire emergency <laughs> going on somewhere. And there's, there's one loud siren gone by. And another on the way. And another on the way. So you may just have to talk amongst yourselves for a moment. I'd like to think we'd edit this out. But I'm not sure I'm good enough for that yet. I think... Yeah. That might be it. Um, I've lost my thread completely. So you were saying about... Oh yeah, so his version of, um, you know, on the break as it were, is actually just the long ball. But with with our midfield, it doesn't need to be. So, um, but I, I mean, if we're, if we're following this criteria, I do think he fails on the excellence description. I mean, 
my thing with Pulis is, I don't think he's ever worked with a, 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 an attack in a, like a, a quality attack like ours. I don't think he's been given an opportunity to do that, so maybe he could thrive in that. Plus, you know, I appreciate it. it's not winning the league, but this is his fourth year at West Brom. So far, he's come 10th, 12th and 13th. Like, for a Premier League squad, you know, with not a huge amount of money to spend, I don't think that's that bad. And all right, it's not pretty football, but would you rather see passing sideways football and not qualify? Or would you rather see us lumping it around a bit and qualify? I'm sorry, we've not been to a World Cup for a long time. If, if it does the job... Yeah. Plus, I think the way we defended in the last campaign the reason we didn't get there is not because we didn't score enough goals to an extent I think it's because you look at the Georgia game at home and the Serbia game at home arguably the Austria game away when we are in the league twice all of those positions were winning positions taken to a draw could you say you wouldn't tidy that up like you know maybe it could have um, I think if we go through all of these in, in detail of the year until Christmas the other big one I'm going to put forward, uh, again, people have been talking about, is Carl Robinson. I think, again, looking at our criteria, I think from what he said, and you know, we've listened to interviews from of him and podcasts and stuff, I think he is very good again in the players' plane. For him, he, you know, he seems to say the right things, very positive. Um, and he's done a great job, I think, given the circumstances in the MLS. Like, it's a very competitive, the other quality level may not be high, but it's competitive. And I think you're left to a lot more to your devices of how good your coaching is there. And I think as a consequence, they've got to the playoffs a few times. He's done a decent job in that sense. My big thing with him, I would say, is the respect. Yeah. So, I mean, I've I've actually got a lot of time for him. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we might, we might have more exposure to him over here for obvious reasons. Um, if you... I think the role that he's got, and it's, it's fairly common in the MLS, is you're much more of a develop, you're on a development program. And so I think in terms of that big picture of a squad and age groups and developing across that, that's what he's built in Vancouver. They've actually just yeah. opened a new facility where they've got everybody on the same site. Um, and so the, my concern is actually, I think he might be too much of, uh, of another Oshan Roberts in terms of what he can bring to the table. Um, and there has been talk about perhaps the two of them pairing off, and they've clearly got a really good relationship. You can see that in the um, in the um, S4C interview. Uh, so, you know, maybe there's enough there that they can spark it between them. But I, I think. The, the idea of the family part of this definition, I think he hits really well. I agree. Um, he's, he's very, seems to be very player-centered, um, has a really good reputation for working hard over here. And you, ha you have to in the MLS because not, you've not got enough um, slack in your system to be yeah. anything other than working hard with what you have. Uh, and so, but all of that sounds like Oshin's role to me rather than rather than the manager's role. So that's, that's for me, that's the, that's the question mark right, over Robinson. That. I think um, that's a fair point. And maybe it is that, maybe the solution is, it's sort of, you morph the two roles a bit more and you let Oshin have a bit more first team responsibility and sort of bring Robinson in behind to look at it more 
of the holistic stuff that, yeah. that Austin Roberts does currently. Uh, and I think he's got a real strength there, looking at what he's doing in Vancouver. I agree. I, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, to be perfectly honest. My other thing is with him is do the, would the players respect him? He didn't have, a, you know, he was committed to Wales, but he wasn't exactly, you know, a big name in that sense. So would they respect him? I don't know. I mean, you're talking about letting Oshan Roberts have a bigger role with the first team, which, as we've talked about, leads nicely to some like a figurehead role, which, you know, a lot of people are talking about Bellamy or Henri. Yeah in those sort of positions, even at gigs, dare I say it. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, Just let's just start on those three, because they would be in a similar sort of figurehead in a commas type role. I think which one of those three, gigs, Bellamy or Henri, would you have a lean into towards? I'd prob probably Bellamy, but I'd be biting my tongue a bit. Um, I think in terms of... Um, the relationship with the rest of the, the, the squad, I think all three of them have got a, you know, they've got an in there, haven't they? They've yeah, got a standing so. and a reputation. So I think they all tick that box. Um, Bellamy seems to be working at it harder and trying to follow the right path. Um, you know, with the role he's now got at Cardiff. And the, so from that point of view, I favour I favor that. My questions would be, or from his cat, would be more sort of character questions, I think. In, in terms of that hot temper that he yeah. has and whether whether he can actually cool that enough for the role, whether he, he just might be too explosive. No, I can see that. I, I think of the three of them, I think I would probably go for Henri of the three, uh, putting all the other stuff aside. I agree with you about the temper thing with Bellamy. I like him a lot. I've, met, I've been lucky enough to meet him a couple of times. Um, and he's always been affable and nice, and I think he would do the stuff like going to the clubs. I, yeah. I really do think he would do that. I'm just not sure if there's a point where he might, people might lose respect for him a little bit quickly if he does lose his rag. Whereas Henri, I think, would have a bit more like self-control, and he's got some high-level coaching experience. Yes. He could do the motivational stuff. The players respect him. He's been through the Welsh football coaching system. Um, so will obviously has a, has a relationship with Oshan Roberts. So of the three, I'd go for them. I wouldn't go for Giggs for the reasons that everyone's probably already talking about. His lack of commitment to Wales. Um, I don't like him. I think he's a horrible human being. We're talking about family <laughs> on the list. I think he's a little bit too interested in his own family. And I think that's half the problem. So I, I, for me, I just don't think it's him. Also, a figurehead. Would he be willing to go and do that stuff in the clubs and do talkings and all that? I just... No, he, I, mean, I just he's, don't see it. He's, he's not going to be down time. at Newport turning on the lights, no. is he? It's happened last weekend. Exactly. I can't imagine him going to, to Sully Sports on a, on a cold Saturday morning to watch the under-11s play and, and whatever. So uh, for me, it's, it's a big no for, for me on him. I just don't like him. I'm sorry. <laughs> Probably it's not a particularly sensible thing to say, but I think it's true. Um, of the foreign options... Should I say foreign options? <laughs> we need to edit that bit out as well. <laughs> of the non-Welsh options. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a few names have been knocking out. Allardyce, Pardew, Redknapp. Um, I mean, it's an instant no from me on them. Um, there's a few others I'd be interested at, at talking about. Who are Coleman, De Boer and Billich. And even perhaps 
kidding. I was wanted to mention Van Gaal as well because he's got international experience, but he's apparently looks like could be going to Everton. I mean, Hiddick's 71, maybe a little bit too old, but good experience. Players love him. He's definitely seems to be able to come in places and have an impact. Money would be an issue there, I would imagine. I think money's going to be an issue for any of yeah. them, potentially. I think we're going to have to sell it to anyone. I think, bar your Bellamy's, whatever, I think we are going to have to sell it to someone. The reason I've said those three is because they've just lost jobs. All had quite good reputations, which seem to have lost a bit of stock. Dubois, particularly. There's a desire to play football a certain way, which suits yeah. with us. You know, you look at excellence. Koeman did a great job at Stampton, and last year was fantastic with Everton. Um, De Boer's won the league with Ajax a couple of times. Bilic had a great international run with Croatia, yeah. and again in his first season at West Ham, did a good job with them. I think the players will respect them. Koeman in particular. Of, of, of this section, De Boer is the one for me stands out I think he's got a point to prove he'd want to do something in British football to, to, to change that reputation he's, he's got for himself I think he plays football the right way young yeah I think I think that, I think the, I think his energy is actually perhaps what that will put him above the other three isn't it yeah and a little bit more perhaps a bit more drive and perhaps a bit more invested in it if, if he took that yeah. route I, I fundamentally I think we just can't them, unfortunately. No, I'm realism-wise. Yeah. I think we're out there. Have you got any other non-Welsh suggestions? Um. Not why we're in that. No. <laughs> no, I think. I mean, I would. I think if we're looking at that, we should we should explore Ancelotti because I think. Well, why not? You know, <laughs> if you don't ask, you don't get, do you? And I actually think he. Um, strangely enough. Might he want almost like a semi-retired role? You know, is he ready to have something that isn't as manic day-to-day -day yeah. mayhem as what he's been dealing with? Still work with some class players, work with a very professional setup, yeah, um, but be able to do it in just a milder, calmer yeah. way. Less and pressure. It, and it may actually suit him to you know be involved day-to-day, you know, day-to-day -day with a a good coaching staff, a good set of players, but without the sorts of pressures he's been yeah. experiencing at club level. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, he's only 58, so it's not like he's past it by any stretch of the imagination. I think our biggest problem with that is the I Italy vacancy. Yeah. I mean, that would be a lure for him. And I read somewhere today that ridiculously Zidane is under pressure in uh, Madrid and they look they would look at to Ancelotti to see out the rest of the season if they if they sat it out. It would be laughable. <laughs> I, I, I fully appreciate what I've just said. Uh, but there is that. My personal thing with him again, take the money out of it. I think he's unfortunately just gonna get a better standard of job offer yeah. than we can give him. Yeah. No, I think I think the only way we would tempt him is by making it something a little bit different. As, like I said, almost like a breathing space. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't think we, I don't think we've got a hope otherwise. Yeah, no, I agree. What about Hughes? What about Mark Hughes? <sighs> I know that my friend owes when you said Mark Hughes's name would have just exploded <laughs> with rage, and if he had any hair left, he would have pulled it all out. Um, I'm not advocating. I'm just intrigued. What your view is? I mean, personally, I think. 
for Welsh football before Toshak and did this side of it a little bit was immense and like the the stats and the healthy eating and all and all that sort of stuff the computer stuff and that made a big big difference to us it made it a more professional environment yeah we don't need that though I don't think he's the sort of person we need at the moment I think he's, he's too first team focused yeah now that was his history before maybe that's maybe that's changed but I don't think there's enough of that um like we go back to this, the family part of, the, of this yeah. trio. I mean, it's a it's a it's a no for me. I, I to be honest with you, I don't think I can give you a good enough reason why. Mm -hmm. It's just a no for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have also got a few kind of wild card names on here. You've got uh, Nathan Jones from Luton. Luton. Yeah. Um, Confess, I don't know that much about him, but if we're looking at the Welsh managers that are doing all right at the minute, then on that basis he needs to be on the list. Um, but really, um, you know, where he would fit in our excellent family respect kind of checklist, I genuinely don't yeah. know very much. Yeah. I mean, we've also got Page. I think it'd be too soon for him, to yeah. be honest. I mean, we've got Simmons, Kit Simons, but he's obviously he's gone, just gone with to Sunderland. Yeah. yeah. So that's a no. I other uh, wild cards are Paul Clement. Okay. Who's probably going to lose his job at Swansea? He must be a good coach to get that group of players from the depths of despair basically last year and yeah. keep them up. I don't think it's his fault particularly they're struggling that much at the minute. You take the best players out of someone's yeah. team, they're going to struggle. Yeah. And they've replaced him with players who haven't done anything for him. I don't think that's his fault. He's got a good background in coaching. Maybe he could be too similar to Osho. Mm -hmm. Would that be the concern there? Um, my favourite wild card is uh, bear with me <laughs> if we want a figurehead someone's knocking about not doing anything in a minute he's only 75 years young Alex Ferguson <laughs> I'm just we're talking about wild cards that's, that's really left field thinking isn't well, it well you know if we want a figurehead he'd be great at motivating the players I maybe think he wants his memory jog, you know, maybe he wants to get back in. No. No. Oh. <laughs> oh, sod you. <laughs> the other thing I thought was, like, there was, I remember there was a thing, a picture of him once wearing a bobble hat with the three feathers, the right. Welsh three feathers on it. So I thought maybe he got some Welsh blood in him. But Ruth says no. <laughs> so that's a no. I just, I just can't see that gelling with the setup at the minute. He's so much his own man, wants things so much his own way. He just wouldn't. He just wouldn't slide into the yeah. Welsh way. Um, I, no, I just can't see that working. No, neither can I. I just thought it was quite an entertaining <laughs> side, side street to take us down. Um, the only other name I want to see, which we haven't mentioned so far, who is my tip for the top? I'm going to give you three names I want. Pulis, Robinson, we've already mentioned. And my third one is Patrick Vieira. Did his coaching badges in Wales, so he knows the Welsh way. Again, got a relationship with Oshan. He's got a bit of experience in MLS, but he's not coaching in a developmental way like we've talked about with Robinson. He's coaching people like David Villa, uh, Pierlo, Lampard. Yeah. I think he's young. He would have a point to prove in British football. I think he's earning an MLS wage, so the money wouldn't be a huge thing. 
I think the players would instantly respect him. For me, if we're going to go down the non-Welsh route, personally, that would be my tip. So those are my three. It's Pulis, Robinson and Vieira. Probably, if we don't get, get Pulis, I would prefer Vieira to Robinson. Okay, I think, I think I'd probably have it the other way around and I'd maybe add Bellamy to the list. No, that's fair. I like that. So I would be perming from those four, I think. Um, my final question, which we're going to have to do very quick, is could this have been a good time for the change overall in the end? I think it's a good time in just from a sort of calendar point of view. You know, we've got this gap now until we've got some competitive games. Still don't quite know what's happening in the spring. I mean, China hasn't actually been confirmed. Um, so on that basis, I think it's as good a point as any. You're ultimately going into this um, new nations trophy thing, uh, which we're all going to be feeling our way with. <laughs> I know you're a big fan. So, um, so on that basis, it's you know I think everybody's uh, it's new, and for that reason, I, I think to have a new coach at that point, that kind of makes sense. I also think it was the right time because I think clearly from what's happened and the fact that Coleman's gone to Sunderland. He was re he's ready to go. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so on that basis, I think it has to be the right time. No, I agree. I, I think there's maybe an argument in my mind of he has maybe taken everyone as far as he can now. And I think we almost have to kind of press the reset button a little bit with the, with the younger boys coming through. Maybe do we need a new plan? Um, he still had this idea on his four or five at the back. I think there's a, there's a lot that, that says to me, for all concerned, this actually might have been a good time to go. The problem is that, you know, as we've discussed, a kind of a, a big number of alternatives, but how many quality ones there are, yeah. we don't really know. So, personally, I think it might have been a good time to go and give us time to solve the problem of him leaving. Yeah. But, obviously, it's a big, big decision. Probably Jonathan Ford's most important decision now in, in his time in charge in the FAW, giving him the job. Um. We're going to wrap things up here. Just wanted to point out that we have the women playing on Friday against Kazakhstan at 7pm at the Kardashian Stadium. And then on Tuesday against Bosnia at 12.30 in Zeneca. Uh, popular place, obviously lots of Welsh people. So hopefully that will, will work for them as well. After those games, we're also going to be interviewing Hayley from Fee Wales, as I said in the introduction. So hopefully that will be the next thing you hear. We hope you enjoy her interview and we hope you enjoy our chat on Hopefully gonna be the next film, aren't it? Welcome to the Coleman Had a Dream interview with Hayley from Fee Wales. Um, Fee Wales just celebrated their first birthday as a company and now we're officially at games as we saw at the women's match against Kazakhstan. Um, so first of all, a question we're going to ask everybody, uh, which is what's your background in terms of supporting and watching Wales play football? Well, I've been Wales games now for the last 17 years. Wow. Um, I was brought up the other side of the bridge having been born in Wales right. but I've always been Welsh always will be <laughs> um, 
Serie A and first game was against Brazil at the Millennium Stadium in oh, really? May 2000. Yeah, that was my first ever Wales game. Um, and never looked back, really. <laughs> first away game was the infamous trip to Milan in 2003-2004, which was an experience, to mm-hmm. say the least. I but imagine. I kept going. <laughs> I've heard all sorts of stories about that, so yeah. well done for keeping going. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Ruth, over yeah. to you. I just want to ask, were you, were you always into football then, Hayley? Was it something that, like, as a family sort of tradition? or How, how did you get involved in those early days? Oh, oh, football, yeah, like, family's been going since the year dot. Like, when I moved back to Cardiff, I was the then fourth generation of my family season ticket holder at Cardiff City and it's always been like the women in my family have gone to games as well like my great grandmother went to the 1927 cup final and my mum had a season ticket you you know it's it's just in you then isn't it yeah absolutely yeah okay so um obviously one of the things that we want to concentrate on is the work you've been doing with Fee Wales so if you can just give yeah. us a little bit of a background about how that started, what got, you know, what got you moving to the point where you're now, you know, a, a clothes designer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that still sounds a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been in my head for years. Um, you know, you couldn't get kits in women's sizes anymore or like the merchandise or the unofficial stuff. Everything was in men's sizes and all catered for males and it was like I haven't got anything someone should do something about this and then I started thinking well I could do something about this but where would I even start and I just kept it in my head really for ages and then it was on the trip back from Austria last year having a conversation with my other half on the flight back and I he mentioned something about t-shirts and I said yeah, except there isn't anything for us, is there? <laughs> and that was when it came out of my head. And it was the first he'd heard of it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how long have you been thinking about this for? And I'm like, ages, a few years now. <laughs> and he was like, well, why aren't you doing it? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and he was like, well, have you got any ideas for anything? And it, it just went from there, really. And I'm like, I had the idea for the Ain't No Body t-shirt, mm-hmm. which was, you know, quite simple to the point. That's what it said, and I got got that together. Did some research into getting T-shirts printed, built the website, set it all up, and off we went. I had the T-shirts delivered on the Friday and hit launch on the Saturday night, and it was just all been go from there, really. What is that? What you do full time now? No, no, not yet. So I've got a full time job as well. Whilst you know, long term, I would love to be doing this full full time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got a very dull day job, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, I found the odd five minutes in to, to, to do some little designs and <laughs> make the most of it. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, I'm in the office by myself. I'll, I'll work on some designs. Yeah. So had you talked to other women supporters before you launched then, Hayley, or was it really a kind of stab in the dark? Um, I'd spoken to a couple uh, but they were people who I was good friends with anyway. Mm-hmm. So they might be like, yeah, go for it, because they're my <laughs> friends. <laughs> but they bought T-shirts, so that's fine. That's um, um, 
you know, I think, I mean, obviously the women's team had been saying that there was nothing for women. Helen Ward did an interview just before the Euro started and there was a bit of publicity about it around the subject there. And, you know, within a week of me launching it, it was quite obvious that there was a demand for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I was sat there with these box full of t-shirts thinking no one's going to buy these are they what am I doing mm-hmm. but actually they, they've gone quite quickly so <laughs> it's all been quite good really it's all been positive and I mean it doesn't sound like you really have much experience in this the design area then so how do, how do you work through that and, and... <laughs> um, well day job I'm marketing I've been doing marketing for the last 10 years or so so things like uh, the social media building the website, getting things out on that sort of side. Yeah, I can do that. I've designed flyers and things like that mm-hmm. before, but never teachers. But I've always been quite a creative person. Yeah. So it's like I'll, I'll have the ideas in my head, but then actually getting them developed is a different. If you could see some of my drawings, you would laugh. <laughs> but actually, I seem to be mastering Photoshop now. <laughs> so, so, yeah. It's getting there, like things like the Chris Gunter chin up one. I've got a friend who's an artist, and I commissioned her to do that one for me. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't confident enough to even attempt that. <laughs> the last thing I wanted it to do was look awful. So <laughs> get someone proper to do it. <laughs> and what have, what's been the hardest thing? What have been the hurdles and the things that have gone wrong, Haley? Time, mm-hmm. generally. Um, I've had quite a manic few months. I've been moving house and I've been looking after my mum. My mum's been in hospital and had a hip replacement. So I've been doing stuff for her and I've suffered a back injury and traveling with Wales and working full time and just life getting in the way generally, yeah. finding the time to actually dedicate to it. There are a few months where it's just like, oh, I just haven't got time. I need to do stuff. I haven't got time. But yeah back in it now things are settling down again so mm-hmm. yeah you'll get there <laughs> absolutely and, and what would you have like if you had some advice or something that you would change about what you've experienced what would that be um i'd have done it sooner <laughs> I, I, th- I don't think i'd have kept it in my head for so long i think i should have just had the confidence to just go out there and do it and you guys are probably finding this with the podcast now, like, it's just like, oh, you know, we can do this. We can do it. Let's exactly. just do it. Yeah, you've just got to jump in, haven't you? Fight the bullet. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Sweet, can I just jump in a sec? Just, yeah. Do you think part of the reason it's been successful, I mean, obviously, the like the success of the men's team has had a, a big effect on kind of a fan movement in Welsh football. But I like, in my opinion, yeah. like looking on Twitter and stuff when the Wales games are on. There's this big thing about what people are wearing these days at the football. Like, you know, the bucket hats are a big thing, and sock council, and yeah. people taking photos of like their f- clothes kind of neatly folded with their, you know, with their Adidas trainers going next to it, sort of thing. Do you think that is like yeah. the, 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 obviously the fan movement has helped? But do you think that is like having a big, you know, positive impact on what is happening with you guys? Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I think as well the fact that nobody else is doing anything for women i mean obviously the new kit is now in women's sizes mm-hmm. uh, but up until that point we haven't had anything for years so yeah there's this thing that and it's been lovely going on away trips lately because you just see people walking around in your t-shirt <laughs> and, just, 
like with my bags and stuff and it's just like oh look over there (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's great um so i mean when you're on away trips and that you you don't want to wear your football shirts all the time necessarily but you want to be in the colors and you want to be identifiable as a wales fan absolutely um and i think that has a lot to do with it obviously when you're going to places that are really hot like it was really hot in belgrade in june you don't necessarily want to be walking around in polyester all day. Yeah. So if you've got T-shirts that you can walk around in, then it makes life a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Dave was obviously mentioning the pop culture around the football at the minute, and I, I wanted to talk a bit more with you about just being a, a woman at football games. Because, I mean, I was, yeah. going, I was going to my first internationals in the, in the early 80s up at Wrexham, and... You know, yeah. by choice, we'd actually go to the what was notionally the the away end, because you actually felt safer than being in yeah. than being in the cop with you know the Swansea or the Cardiff or the Wrexham fans going at one another. Um, and I wondered if if you could talk just a bit about how your experiences at games have changed in in that seventeen year period that you were talking about. I mean, particularly that trip to Italy, the stories you hear it must have been horrendous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my mum randomly used to go down the Grange end <laughs> in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she tells me stories like her and my dad, when I was a kid in the early 80s, they used to take me down Newport County because they felt that was a safer environment to take mm-hmm. me to yeah. than to go down to Cardiff. Mm-hmm. The times have changed massively now, both in club football and international football now, I think. Um, I certainly, apart from Milan, I haven't seen any trouble um, at any international games. I've been a bit concerned lately. The last home game, there seems to be a bit of a Swansea Cardiff thing creeping in again amongst the younger supporters. And I guess us as the oldest supporters, we need to just kind of go, hang on, club colours at the door. That's yeah. That yeah. doesn't happen. Um but yeah, it's, it's a much safer environment. It's great seeing so many kids there, mm-hmm. and you know there are much more women going to games now. I don't know whether that's a confidence thing or just a a changing environment. I don't know, but I mean, it's, I've never been the sort of person that's been overly bothered about rocking up to a football game on my own. So, yeah. but I know a lot of a lot of women maybe. So, yeah if they know they can go and everything's going to be fine and it's all just well like wales games it's just one big party most of the time yeah i think think it's about being felt welcome as well i mean it's simple things like just having enough bathrooms i mean i remember going to a game at wembley and the last night we were we were so long in the line that we were fast friends by the end of it (laughs) and in the end we actually just took over one of the men's toilets and these couple of australian lads that wouldn't know them from adam they acted as bouncers for us on the on the (laughs) boys and we just took over one of the one of the lads uh, sections because it was just getting so ridiculous and when you feel that sort of undervalued in terms of a customer then you're not going to go back are you no of course you're not of course you're not and you still get games like that now on the away trips um, as I'm sure you can imagine, and I've been—I can't remember where I was now. But I was in the queue, and there was no women's toilet, and I'm just like, "There's got to be one around here somewhere." And all the boys in the queue are like, "It's all right, there's a cubicle," and they shuffled me through and put me into the cubicle and shut the door, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> I like it. But yeah, the facilities. 
Chelsea's are much better now. We are, we are. Well, we should be bloody welcomed, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we pay our money. We love the sport. Why, why should we ever be excluded from it? I think a big part of it, from my perspective, is obviously we've not been to games for a while, having moved here. But I went to the Ireland game, and a big part of it, I think, is the the atmosphere that's generated by, for example, like the Barry Horns, for example, and, and that yeah. end of the ground. You, it, it's, they're, you know, they're not like sweary songs like you used to hear at football grounds before. They're they're all mm. quite kind of fun, upbeat, and and I think that encourages people. Yeah. And I know, like we were there on a school trip. And I know that for the rest of the trip, all the kids and the staff were all singing the Johnny Esther song over and over again. And if you imagine yeah. that, you know, 10 years or so ago, they would have been singing songs fueled with spare words. And, and I think that part of it has changed football a lot. And after the match, I bumped into a, a girl I used to teach. Well, she's not a girl anymore, but someone I used to teach. Uh, and she was there with her little uh, nephew. And yeah. it was just amazing to me, like, how much of a positive atmosphere has been garnered around the football at the minute that you know she felt completely comfortable going to that match with it I think the net the kid was like maybe nine or ten years old like for, for, for her to be comfortable doing that and for her to want to go and the kid to go with her I think it shows that like there's a big positive change happening amongst football and it's great that we've got people like yourselves and the Barry Horns part of that you know I think it makes a big difference to people yeah my season tip in games is the, the row in front of the horns so it's just great there. yeah great atmosphere <laughs> So I want to chat about the women's game a little bit more with you. Because yeah. obviously we don't get so much coverage of that over here, though. Although, ironically, when they're playing away, we do tend to get Facebook feeds and things that we can follow. Yeah. Less so when they're playing at home, ironically. Um, so I, w I wondered, um, well, obviously it was a big moment for you on Friday with the mascots wearing your T-shirts and things. So could you just yeah. talk a little bit more about that for us? Yeah, it was bonkers really um the faw actually approached me about a month or so ago yeah a month six weeks ago and um they said oh would you be interested in having a stall at the women's game and i'm just like yeah that would be great and they're like brilliant come and meet us down at the stadium we'll have a chat about it so did that and they're like oh i'd like to buy your t-shirts for the squad and and the mascots as well and i'm stood there like play it cool, play it cool, play it cool. <laughs> Walked out, and they go, oh my god! <laughs> but it was amazing. I mean, the sad thing for me was because I was on the stall, I didn't see the mascots walking out oh, in my t-shirt. Really? But I pegged it from the stall as I heard the anthems finishing. I pegged it to the stall and saw them walking off the pitch, just from the edge, <laughs> and it was just like, oh, mental. But then seeing the videos and the photos and everything is. Yeah, it's crazy. It's come a long way in 12 months, really. Absolutely. And I spent so long designing that T-shirt <laughs> as well. It took me days to do that one. So to actually, you know, see these kids out on the pitch at an international game was something else, really. And the women's team were tweeting pictures of them all wearing a T-shirt to the hotel last week. That mm -hmm. was, yeah, that was lovely. That's great. What has the relationship been with... Um, with the FAW because I know you had a stall am I right I think you had a stall at, at one of the friendlies with the, the men's team as well oh no no, no just okay. this one just this one okay yeah yeah so um yeah they've said about me doing it again in the future so right. yeah they've, they've been really supportive which is great it's great for me so it's good to know as well <laughs> that, they're, that they're aware of 
yeah. what they need to do to build it and what is going to be successful. And it's not just about them making as much money as humanly possible. It's about what other people want. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. so important to grow it, isn't it? Definitely. And, you know, um, I've had conversations with them. And they said, you know, you've got Tim doing the Spirit of 58 stuff. He's like, no, you've got the stuff mm-hmm. for the women as well and with females. And, you know, that's great. It takes pressure off us having to do it. So. Yeah. <laughs> we're happy to support you guys so and that's a really lovely thing to come out out to them really mm-hmm. so you know they get the relationship that they've got with the fans and you know it just enforces that really it's really nice shows a value to it as well i guess that they, as you say they really they value that relationship mm-hmm. with the fans and and with other people who have been involved in the fan movement which is like so important isn't it yeah, absolutely. In terms of the the women's actual team and the game and these qualifications that are going on at the minute, how do you feel? I mean, I was looking at the table today and thinking, actually, you know, that point situation, they've only played one game at home. You know, that was looking pretty good. Honestly, to, to come out of these four games with 10 points is phenomenal, I think. You know, it was always going to be tricky going to to Russia and to Bosnia and to Kazakhstan. These are tricky, tricky sides to to break down. And Kazakhstan on Friday, they they just, they weren't going to let it drop for a second. They were really, really, I mean, they didn't have a shot on goal, I don't think. But they were really tough to get past mm-hmm. and to break down. But, you know, the girls stuck at it and they got that goal. And to then go away to Bosnia a few days later, I think they flew out the same night or the early hours of Saturday morning. Um, and to then come away with that result, it's huge. And realistically, England will probably win in the group mm-hmm. as much as I hate to say it, but there's such a gulf in professionalism mm-hmm. between the two. I mean, it is developing now more with Wales, which is fantastic, and much more is going into the women's game. But England have had it just that bit longer and they've got much more professional players. Mm-hmm. Um so I think realistically, they will win the group as much as I hate to say it. But with us having these points, and the next game is England away in April. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, pressure's on them. Mm. They've got to really up their game, and they've got to really deliver. So the pressure's on them. They don't. They they're not going to want to lose to us or yeah. to drop a point against us. Yeah. And they know we're breathing down their neck. And as for best place runner-up going into the playoffs, I think we're setting ourselves in a yeah. really oh, strong absolutely. position to achieve that. I think which watching is, the game today, the, the, like the, the, the work rate and the like commitment and the, obviously like this team ethic was absolutely unreal. And like you could see there were specific plans. When, when we got the ball, where's the best place to play? If there's, you know, are we going to kill time best, basically? And you know, they'd, they'd work things yeah. out really well. And, and I thought, they were sort of unlucky not to get a second goal at times, like the way they played on the break. Uh, and the speed we had up front, was I, I thought it was really impressive. Jess Fishlock is the only the player, if I'm perfectly honest, I know much about, because I've, I've actually seen her play here. They came and played the Boston yeah, Breakers. Yeah. Um, but her touch and movement and the way she seemed to get, like control everything around her when she had the ball, I thought was fantastic. I thought it was... I, I only saw the second half, but I thought it was, it was great to watch. And by the end, the, the penalty save from Laura O'Sullivan was absolutely yeah. brilliant. It was what? one of them, you know, who just didn't deserve to concede it. An awful penalty decision. 
Um, yeah. And for her to make that save, I thought was like she and she made another good one right at the end. Yeah, just tipped, tipped the ball it over. over yeah. 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 yeah, so vital that those oh, yeah. two saves could be what gets us into the playoffs. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I think looking around, I think everyone will probably beat Bosnia and Kazakhstan in that group. And I think maybe it's the Russians that will be the the tricky one to whether we get enough points to get yeah. into the playoffs compared to the other mm. second place teams. And to know we've gone to Russia and come away with something, yeah, it's fantastic. Exactly. We, we're not going to be. Oh, we've still got to go there. It's done. Yeah, it's done. And then come, they've got to come back to Cardiff as well. Yeah. You, I, I, yeah. I, I did a bit of research today, and I, I, re, I didn't realise that the world, the women's World Cup, was actually ironically in France. <laughs> <laughs> so I've exactly so I've cancelled all summer holiday plans now. My wife can go away by herself. She can go back to Cardiff, and I'm going to France for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and do you know what's lovely? It's in different cities, largely. So oh, is it? Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I but, think there's a, a couple of games in Lyon which we won't mention. No. Um, but no, the others are places that, as with the men's team, we didn't go to last summer. So. Lovely, new places to explore. No pressure, girls. We're, we're going. Exactly. I have booked my flight, so sort it out. Um, do you do you do you think many people would go out of interest? I think a fair few words. I think a good couple of thousand would definitely. Yeah, I think so. Just because of where it is, maybe. Yeah, I think I think there's an attraction, isn't there, to uh, the possibility of of going back to France and watching some football. I yeah. mean, you you saw that just yeah. with the with the friendly in Paris. There was definitely yeah. a sort of nostalgia element, <laughs> I think, to that in terms of the, the number of people that went. Exactly. And for it to be a major finals again, we're like, yeah, let's go. We haven't been in a World Cup for ages. Let's go. <laughs> yes, everyone across. <laughs> that actually segues nicely. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience at Euro 16, Hayley, and your time there and that summer. Best summer of my life. Best time of my life. Um yeah, it was just something else, really. I mean, I was lucky enough to go to every game. Um, yeah, I'm going all whimsical thinking about it again now. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it was just, just amazing. It was a, a lot of back and forth, so it was exhausting for a couple of months. I managed to do it using 11 days leave every game. So I was doing a lot of getting home at three in the morning and going to work for a couple of days and then buggering back off to France again. <laughs> but that's fine. You're allowed. <laughs> it meant I wasn't using all my annual leave and it was all fine so yeah it all panned out quite well and weirdly I when the ticket ballot came about I'd got tickets up till the semi-final I couldn't afford to risk getting the ticket for the final and the payment going over my credit card limit if it got bumped up a, a tier so I only got them up to the semi-final um, which worked out well someone else had got me a ticket for the there's no way I wasn't going if that happened um, and the annual leave I'd booked off was exactly what I needed I think I had to switch one day I provisionally pencilled everything in and it all worked out perfectly even to the number of tickets I got um, yeah I, I don't think I've ever seen so many different airports <laughs> different styles of airports um, cabins in the middle of fields with a runway next to it um, well, it was just the best time of my life and team were amazing just spending so much so much time with my football family as I call them um, there's a group of about 10 of us that regularly go to the away games and spending so much time with them and 
yeah, some of the places we stayed in were bonkers. We stayed in one place. It was like a dungeon, really. It was it was in, uh, where was it? In Lille. We stayed there for the, the England game against Lons. And basically, it said it slept eight people. It didn't. It didn't. It was like a bed sit with a <laughs> cellar, three double mats on the floor, and there was a sofa bed in the lounge where when you unfolded it, that was the entire flat on. And a mezzanine <laughs> level that was rickety, to say the least. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and then there was the football and the everyone else and the super furries gig in Toulouse and oh, just the whole thing from start to finish. And the French people were lovely and yeah it's just something else and for us to go on and perform the way we did it wasn't it was almost like we'd gone there as fans like yeah we're just going to enjoy this we get a goal brilliant oh we've got a goal oh we've won a game <laughs> oh we've won the group <laughs> oh this is just getting no and you know we were i, I don't want to say we were grateful to be there you know we deserve to be there we qualified but the fact we hadn't largely most of us had never experienced anything like that in our lives and so we're going to make the most of this whatever and then for the team to be backing that up on the pitch and I always jokingly said to my mates when I was growing up um I went to school in Southampton and they're like oh yeah where, where are Wales and it's like Euro 96 they're like where are Wales and I'm like we're not going to turn up to a tournament so we're going to do it properly we're not going to get knocked out on a penalty shoot <laughs> going to do it properly and they were messaging me last summer some of the boys I went to school with they're like you weren't joking were you? <laughs> <laughs> like, nope <laughs> we're going to do it we're going to do it properly yeah exactly <laughs> it was awesome uh, our final question is yeah. going to be who do you think is going to replace Col I'll ask that in two, two ways actually who do you want to take yeah. over from Coleman and who do you think it's going to be oh God, that question. I would love to see, and bear with me on this, Thierry Omri with Oshan. They've obviously got a really good relationship. Omri's got the experience of international football with working with Belgium. He's done all his badges under Osh. I think the pair of them would work together. Um, Maybe Bellamy as well. You know, he's got experience now with the youth team on the Welsh level. Um, who do I think is going to get it? Could be anyone. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want it to be gigs. I, I think. I don't personally have an issue with gigs, but I think a lot of people do, and it would be too divisive for the fans. And we've got such a tight bond now between players and fans they hold together stronger although now the leaders bug it off which isn't <laughs> helpful um you know that means something it is and it works and i think if gigs was brought in i don't think it would be like that anymore and I think you'd get some people like, oh, well, I'm not going to go if he's manager. He couldn't be bothered to turn up for friendlies, blah, blah, blah. Um, Bellamy, again, could be an issue for some people. I don't know. Not gigs and not Pulis. 
That's who I don't want. Is that issue? <laughs> that, yeah, okay, that's the same. I think for everyone we've spoken to about this, everyone's been able to tell us more who they don't want rather than who they do think is going to get it, which is, says a lot, I think. The trouble is, I'm having, I can't put, I haven't found I anyone push. yet to put in the one category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never south, though. It would be entertaining. Yeah. You've got to admit that. It would yeah. be entertaining. But have some laughs. He's Prime Minister right now. <laughs> I'd vote for him for that one. I'd go for that. Um, yeah, I think whatever happens, it's got to be uh, someone who, as you say, buys into the together stronger mm-hmm. thing. I think someone who's just going to try and be a maverick, uh, you know, it's about them sort of thing. That's my fear with gigs, is that he's not going to buy yeah. into that, and I think he's not going to... I worry that Bellamy's got a bit of that about him as well. I, I, I would have I agreed with you, and I, li- I listened to the Ellis James uh, Feast of Football podcast, and... Danny Gavadon yeah. was telling this story. Was it Ellis? One of them, anyway, was telling this story about how he, you know, worked out a kid was homesick, and you know, went and put his arm around him and said, you know, I, you know, I, I was back and forth to Norwich every weekend. I know what it's like if you ever run a problem. Don't walk away from this just because you're homesick. Come and talk to me about it. And like they said, it is yeah. different with kids, but I think to have the kind of the presence of mind he to kind of like think it. like that, yeah. But love the bloke. Yeah, me from, too. From I, my- but yeah, I don't know. I just yeah, I'll give him a go. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm, to be perfectly honest, I've said mind. this, and I am not standing up for him at all. I don't want him to get a job. But um, I, I, th- <laughs> I think the big thing, I guess, is that I do think he would buy into the together stronger mm. thing, and I think that makes a big that makes a big difference to me. And I think I would rather have. I think every one of the candidates seems to be missing something. Pulis yeah. get us organised, but I don't know what we'd do going forward. Henri might get us playing great football or whatever, but has he got much experience? And there always seems to be something. The big thing that I think, the thing that Giggs is missing is, I don't think he'd buy into the whole system. And that for me is a uh, is an absolute no-no. He's got to buy into it. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think he would. I, I think there's enough people out there who would. And I, I again, like, I don't know whether clutch at straws maybe, but like Carl Robinson, if were he to get the job, like, I really do think he'd buy into it. I think he knew, you know, he knew Coleman, yeah. he knew Speed. He'd been involved involved in the setup for a long time under lots of different people. He probably knows some and of the players. Seems to turn up to squads knowing he'd never get bless him, and he he was all there when he was playing. And he, yeah, he has got the experience over there, so over with you guys. And yeah, I I would have nothing against Carl Robinson yeah. at all. I think the more I think about it, I've changed my mind about a hundred times whilst we've been doing this. But I think my my first choice is still. I'm sticking with Biera. I think that would be a great appointment. But Ooh, if, see, he's done his coaching badges in Wales as well, and he's got a relationship with Oshan, and he's got experience, yeah. admittedly, within the MLS. Um, so I'm just repeating now what I've said on <laughs> what people have listened to about <laughs> half an hour ago when we just finished talking about it. Um, but I, agree. I think if Carl Robinson was to get the job, he would be my second choice. I think. I think I've just yeah. got, I've just got this weird hope. And I don't want Coleman to fail at Sunderland. I, I actually have got this weird hope that somehow between now and about mid-February, they're going to win every game. He's going to get them in a position yeah. where points-wise they're, they're safe, but he's going to turn around to the chairman and say, actually, you know, I'll just go back to Cardiff. <laughs> I've just got this weird hope, and this, I'm, that's what I'm clinging to. it. <laughs> I'm clinging to, I'm clinging to that at the minute because I just don't want any of the other options. Realistically, it could be there, my fair dear. Yeah. He's just adding a few bob for Christmas, that's all. <laughs> exactly. He's just like Sam. 
on off. He's doing his job for winter. He'll be back by March. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Everything crossed. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you very much for being part of, like we've talked about, the Welsh pop culture sort of thing that goes along with football, and you're definitely a big part of that. Congratulations with all uh, the girls wearing their stuff at the the mascot sorry wearing the stuff at the game thank the other day and congratulations on your first anniversary thank you for having me on it's been lovely lovely speaking to you both i was just <laughs> congratulating you on your jingle bales sweater because that just made me laugh so much <laughs> hope that goes well thank you we really appreciate it and uh, good luck with So before we finish today's podcast, we wanted to talk very briefly about what's happened at Merthyr and Penadown Park. There's an unpaid tax bill of about 25 grand, which has obviously caused a big devastating problem. Just really wanted to sort of drop our hats to everybody who's been making contributions there and working so hard. Everything from the Just Giving page to Pack the Path at the weekend. And, and just the scenes after that, the young lads had that 13-1 defeat and the, the just incredible connection between supporters that were there that afternoon and those young 15 16 year old lads i think first the point of this podcast is to talk about wales football fans and and things that are happening in welsh football and i think you talk about the connection between fans there i think that was fantastic to see the way the fans and the players interacted on that day and the pride that the players had and equally the the pride that the fans had in the players for coming forward and playing in that game you know a lot of youth players um the senior players weren't being paid so the manager decided to not let any of them play even though a few of them did want to play in that game apparently um free i thought that was a fantastic thing that the the reciprocal gestures that were made in that the end of that game between the players and the fans i thought was fantastic to see connected with that um international wales the fanzine also some of the subscriptions that darren was gathering over the last 10 days or so have, have gone as a donation to mertha as well uh, dave and i both also written for that magazine. Those of you that are outside of Wales, uh, Darren has added uh, a facility where you can get subscriptions mailed internationally now, so you might be interested in that. Ruth has even donated and is now your shareholder now. I am a shareholder. Just had my first email with my first voting instructions. Oh, there you go. Have you told Alan yet? No. Oh, there you go. Ruth's husband doesn't know everybody. <laughs> Don't listen, Alan. This is it's fine. Um, so thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'd really love people to be in touch. You can get in touch on Twitter, which is at Coleman's underscore dream. You can get in touch on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash Coleman had a dream. Or you can email us Coleman had a dream at outlook.com. Equally, we do lots of blogs, hopefully one or two a week. And you can find those on Coleman's dream dot wordpress dot com. Thank you for listening.